Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've always been interested in global macroeconomics and geopolitics from a very young age. And financial markets always seemed to find their way to the middle of that conversation where, you know, stocks and bond markets and currency markets are always doing what we call pricing in things. And so when markets are moving, it is uh, basically giving the information that we have in a, in one price in real time. And so my, my, my mind and my eyes were always drawn to the markets. What's up gang. Welcome to the greatness machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, the greatness machine, we're about two things. Number one, people were living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, Nick Batia? How's it going, brother? Good, man. How's it going? Oh, man. Welcome to the Greatness Machine, man. I'm so pumped to have you here. How's your day going today? It's going great. Thank you really for having me. I, uh, I'm excited to do this. Oh, man. So, guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have a special guest. My main man, Nick Batia, is in the house. Am I, am I pronouncing your last name properly? It's uh, Batia. Batia. Yes. I, I, yeah. I apologize. I, I, no Mershazde is a mouthful, so I always like to get last <laughs> names properly. So we got, we got Nick Batia here. And oh, my gosh, I'm so excited to have you here. Nick, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll get started? Do you think? Guys, those of you that are new to the show, you know that The Greatness Machine, it's about two things. We're about people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And my main man, Nick, here is creating tons of tons and tons of greatness, living his passion. And we're going to be talking about that in just a second. So first of all, the, how I got turned on to Nick, it's twofold. I am in a group. It's an investment group called Tiger 21. You guys hear me talk about this a lot. And it's, a, it's kind of like an investment group uh, for individuals that, that are placing capital. And, and, and I'm in a group where everyone's buying 
crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain and everyone's investing in all these different funds. And I'm just sitting here and and now let me just back up for a second. For those, First of all, those of you guys that have been following the show know that I come from the world of finance. I used to securitize billions and billions of dollars with the mortgages. Like, like, like I know finance pretty well. And so maybe about a decade ago, I had some guy that used to work for me, hit me up and asked me if I'd invest in his Bitcoin mining operation. He wanted me to invest a million bucks. And I was like, this guy's out of his fucking mind. I'm not doing that. And so I didn't invest. And he ended up getting like a thousand Bitcoins out of it. And unfortunately, he sold them for 20 grand a coin. But or 2000 bucks a coin. I apologize. And so that was my first like world in, into the world of Bitcoin was a shady dude trying to get me to invest in, in mining operations a decade ago. And then fast forward to, you know, 2017, I'm at the ABS conference. I talked about this many times in Miami, Florida, and I bury myself in the blockchain crypto part of this asset-backed security conference. And I come out of the conference and I go to my business partner. And I said, man, I just wish we could invest in the blockchain. Little did I know what I said. So fast forward to my, I'm at my Tiger 21 meeting about seven, eight months ago. And there's a lot of really smart people in the room. I mean, some really smart people who, this is not just the crazy dude that worked for me that's trying to get me to invest in his mining operation a decade ago. When, when all, by the way, the only thing, Nick, that I knew about Bitcoin was I had friends that liked to buy stuff on the dark web and that's what they used to buy stuff. So, <laughs> so for me, I was like, uh, yeah, this is shady. But someone said, man, if, if you really want to get your head around what's happening in this world, you've got to read this book called Layered Money. So this is like, I don't know, eight, nine months ago. So I ordered the book. And like many of books in my life that sat on my shelf for a few months. And then I started reading it. And I'm going to tell you this right now, man. I love your book. Like, it is such a good book. And I want to get into the book in just a second, in just a couple seconds, but after I give your bio. But, but dude, I love your book. And fast forward to about two months ago, my friend Chris Schelling, who's one of the smartest guys I know in finance, posts his favorite books of 2021. My book was on the list as well as Nick's. And right away, and you were you were tagged in the post. So I hit up Nick and I was like, oh man, I'm reading, I'm in the middle of reading his book. I'm loving it. I would love to have you on the show. So Nick so graciously accepted and here we are. Well, it's my pleasure to be here and I'm thrilled that you love the book. Finding readers that enjoyed layered money and it made an impact to their mental model is a dream come true for me. So uh, I feel very blessed. Yeah, man. It's so I'm going to give you a formal bio and then we're going to talk about the book because the book is is such a great book. And it, and it, especially, you know, the, the friend of mine that recommended this, it was multiple friends, by the way. And a lot of them are crypto heavy. They have a lot of these are people that have done really well. And, you know, these are people that knew what they're talking about. I respected what they said. And they said, look, look this is just, if you really want to get your head around what's going on, because this is, I mean, and we'll talk about, it, this is a monumental shift in the way the world works, right? Like probably, arguably one of the biggest of, of probably all time, if, if it does what it's supposed to do. But you guys, Nick Bhatia is an adjunct prof- professor of finance and business economics at the University of Southern California, USC Marshall School of Business, go Trojans, baby, uh, where he teaches applied finance and fixed income securities, also financial researcher and CFA charter holder. He's the author of the number one bestseller, Layered Money, right here, the book, right in my hand, From Gold and Dollars to Bitcoin and the Central Bank Digital Currencies. He currently writes The Bitcoin Layer, a research publication on Substack, and now he's on the show here to talk about it. So, man... What a pleasure to have you here, man. I've been looking forward to this for months and and here we are. So let me ask you a question. Like, 
I mean, clearly, before we get into the book, because we're going to spend a lot of time in the book, like, like what got you down this road? Like, like I'd love to hear the origin story. You know, like, like I gave you my quick and dirty on, <laughs> and it was more dirty than quick. What got me in and out in this world? But what, what did, uh, like, how did you get into what you're into right now? Yeah, so I've always been interested in global macroeconomics and geopolitics from a very young age. And financial markets always seemed to find their way to the middle of that conversation where, you know, stocks and bond markets and currency markets are always doing what we call pricing in things. And so when markets are moving, it is uh, basically giving the information that we have in a, in one price in real time. And so my, my, my mind and my eyes were always drawn to the markets. And so then pursued, you know, a, a formal education and a career in finance and asset management. I particularly enjoyed interest rate math and uh, preferred it to single company analysis, let's say for stock investors. So I found my way into the fixed income world and then more specifically into the rates world. So, you know, you're from the ABS world. Rates is, it's not a credit study. And, and therefore, it's a global macro and geopolitical study. And I found myself right at home on a rates trading desk, trading treasury securities, other interest rate products, um, and then eventually doing some interest rate strategy as well for a large firm and, uh, you know, contributing to investment decisions. Where are rates going up or down, which means What's the economy doing? What is the Fed going to do? And, you know, the biggest picture uh, when it comes to the markets. And studying the Fed and the markets, I did end up learning a lot about monetary history and thereby gold and what gold has meant to money throughout time and how the current financial system is more of an experiment than the norm because it's really only the last 50 some years that we've had a monetary system with no precious metal linkage whatsoever. Right. And so the current 50 year era is the experiment and I learned that, you know, at early in my career. And then at a certain point I started to see the word bitcoin and blockchain more and more across my desk. And I said, it's, it's like, you know, much like your friend, you know, I'm going to stop thinking about this as the dark web, Silk Road, what the hell is mining thing and actually learn what is Bitcoin. And so I bought a couple books because I, I like, that's where I like to start when I dive down a rabbit hole. And once I read the first, basically two books about Bitcoin and what was going on, I realized that Bitcoin itself was the monetary innovation that we've been waiting for. Uh, it would change the world over the next few decades. I want to be involved with it. And to take it one step further, I did experiment with let's blockchain all the things in 2016 when I was learning about it and quickly realized that while although we can and should blockchain many things or make them more distributed in nature. It has nothing to do with global macroeconomics and geopolitics, which is my area of expertise, and has nothing to do with gold, 
And so Bitcoin is where my focus should be, needs to be. And I just went all in intellectually on Bitcoin and then eventually uh, resigned from the trading desk within about three years of reading my first Bitcoin book uh, to pursue a life of Bitcoin research, writing, speaking, teaching, um, but also keeping geopolitics and global macro right at the center because that's what Bitcoin is. It's the answer to where we are going as a world. And so I, I get to use my area of expertise from my past life and bring it and integrate it fully into my Bitcoin study and, and research pursuit. So, yeah, man, I, I love I love that that's the angle you're taking because mm-hmm. we've had guests on the show and I've focused much more on this, like the, the one computer, the supercomputer, the, the blockchain side of it. And this is such an interesting avenue to go down the macroeconomic side. You know, for me, you're from California originally, I take it? Yes, I'm born and raised in L.A. In Los Angeles, uh, like county or in uh, outside of L.A. County? I'm in LA County, born and raised. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. I grew up in Orange County, so so I'm I'm a I'm a father, fellow Southern Californian, and um, I went to UC Santa Barbara, and when I was going to school there, I was a business economics major, and my favorite class I took was macroeconomics, like by, by far, like uh, for the same reason as you like macro, which is I can see the world around me, how it's affecting the world around me, and coming from you know, one piece of fixed income world being mortgage-backed security side of it, you know, I had to deal with it. I owned a ton of assets that were affected by the credit markets and the interest rate markets constantly. And so when we see the world we're coming into right now, we have, to your point, a world where it's fiat currency. It's not, you know, for the most part, it's not backed by any real asset, right? Any, you know, gold, there's no gold behind it. It's, this is just based off the credit of the governments, right? We have a central bank that's out there distributing this currency as it sees fit, right? Based off of some logic, right? That, that seems the, the, the goalpost keeps moving, (laughs) you know, it's discretionary, whatever you call it, it's discretionary. Yeah. Yeah. When COVID hit and when, you know, this is unprecedented, they're buying assets they've never bought before. I'm like, I'm like, that's not supposed to happen based off of, if, if the past is indicative of the future, then we, then, then it's not, then the, the behavior is different. Right. And, and, and look, you know, extreme situations cause for extreme action. So I'm not against that, that, but to your point, it's all being done on, under the foundation of fiat currency that is essentially you're backed by the full faith and credit of these central governments, right? These central banks and central governments. And so here we are in this new experiment, this new world. And lo and behold, we have this new asset class, digital currency class. But but before we go there, I, I want to talk about what's gotten us here, right? Because I will tell you, and for those of you that have not read the book, for those of you that read the book, you're going to be like, yeah, this is a great book. And anyone you're probably doing what i'm doing which is referring it to a ton of people that don't believe that this is real right but for those that haven't read the book i'm going to tell you right now there's two parts of the book that i love which you'll probably appreciate very much number one you're the the first half of the book is such an amazing and practical explanation of the history of money like how did money come to be and like you use some examples around you know the fact that we started using paper notes because people didn't want to carry, you know, chests filled with gold coins across the sea for, to, to trade spices, right? But when we start thinking about where money has come from and where it's going, like, I'd love to hear your thoughts around why you think that this new invention, this new technology around digital currency, 
like, why is that the answer? You know, just because we've decided that we're going based off the full faith and credit of a government, because there's a lot of full faith and credit interactions that have happened over time without actual assets behind um, transactions. Yes, the history of money is really interesting. And the reason why I decided to write a book about this concept of layered money is that what I found is, let's go to today for a second. I found people comparing Bitcoin to PayPal. And why do we need Bitcoin when we have PayPal and Venmo? And that was uh, such an inaccurate comparison that it actually triggered me into writing this book to explain that money is layered in nature because we don't all use the same type of money all the time. And the type of money that we use depends on who issued it and what balance sheet it originates from. So people using Venmo are using PayPal's balance sheet. People using their checking account and writing checks are using Wells Fargo's balance sheet. People that are using Benjamin's and Lincoln's and Washington's in their pocket are using the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. People that are using Tether to trade Bitcoin, let's say, are using Tether's balance sheet. And so all of these balance sheets are capable of issuing dollar types. Even Barclays and BNP Paribas and Europe, all these European banks issue dollars as well. So we have all these different dollar types. They're ordered in their hierarchy, but it's not a common, uh, it's not common knowledge at all that these different money types have an order to them. And so that's why I introduced first layer money, second layer money, and third layer money to describe to people that when they're using cash, paper money, or their checking account, or Venmo, or the Fed is doing QE with treasuries, that those are all happening on different layers of money. And that gold existed on the first layer of money and uh, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years with other sort of paper money and checking account money, deposit money being issued on the second and third layer using gold as its first layer. Now, today without gold, we don't have a first layer money that is globally accepted as a commodity. The only money that we consider global money now at that first layer is government debt, US treasuries, German boons, UK gilts, Japanese government bonds, etc. And so Bitcoin is an innovation because it's a new commodity. There is no balance sheet involved. There's no central issuer where it comes from. There's a commodity-like origination process that the creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, specifically referenced in his original white paper. He said, uh, he or they, or we don't know who Satoshi is, said, Bitcoin mining process is akin to the gold mining process in which it requires work, energy to dig this stuff out of the ground or originate it electronically or digitally. So that's why I wrote the book. You explain, you have to explain that 
gold existed as a first layer money for, I tell the story of about 800 years. And that Bitcoin as a new commodity can mimic the gold system that we had for centuries and have a commodity issued, uh, I mean, sorry, a commodity exist on the first layer money with a whole monetary system existing uh, underneath it. And so it, it, it wasn't, it was more than an article that needed to be written to explain this. And so I have all these, readers will know, I have all these pyramid graphics throughout the book to show what the layers of money have looked like throughout time and why potentially Bitcoin will exist on the first layer of money in the future. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. 
we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So when you start thinking about Bitcoin, and I guess, you know, one of my hesitancies around, and I actually don't own any Bitcoin yet, was more around, there's a couple, I have a couple concerns. Um, and you write a little bit about it in your book around Tulip, right? The Tulip mania that happened in Amsterdam. But it, my, my biggest concerns with it, number one was, how do you price it, right? And like anything, when you see something go up, you know, 10x in one year, there's no, you know, the perception that I cannot underwrite the value of it, right? Because this is, it's a microeconomic, you know, in event that's, that's creating the pricing as of today, right? The demand outstripping supply by a large magnitude, price goes up and then it goes the other way. And we've just seen that happen right now where Bitcoin dropped 45% in value in the past, you know, 90 days. And so for me, I didn't like the price volatility of it. I'm like, look, I'm paying a lot of money for this thing. I don't know what it's worth. I don't understand it. I have to have a, a set it and forget it mentality if I think that this is the future. And I don't know if it's the future. So I'm just going to like watch it. And so one of my questions for you is, how do you reconcile in your head around what is the value of this? Or is it, is it more of just an academic exercise of, no, this is a new technology that really is an overall on what what is the what is going to i guess commodity or excuse me collateralize our layer 1 right because if right now layer 1 is just the stroke of the pen of the united states government which it kind of is right then yes. then what then what makes this become the new layer 1 and, and and because you need mass adoption and you need and i guess my second question is is and this has been my big, big argument around this is I'm like, you think the U.S. is going to go down fighting or go down, like, just give it up? They're going to go down fighting. Like, we saw this in the early 30s where they banned, made gold holding illegal. You know, I got to assume the minute this is a real threat that the federal, you know, the central banks, the federal governments, the, you know, all these different, you know, folks who have a vested interest in this not happening, because what we're really talking about is a redistribution of power. They're going to make this really hard. So that's my two. Uh, and I know those are kind of muddled questions, but what are your thoughts around that? Yes. Uh, so let's start with your second question. The you would think that you know as Bitcoin rises, it poses a threat, and governments will say no, this is not going to happen here. But let's actually look at what has happened in the United States. And I don't want to equate Europe and the ECB with what's going on here because um, they might appear to be similar. Uh, cultures, but they're not. Americans, let's think about United States for a second. 2014, IRS came out and said, we view it as property. So if you're going to sell it, you have to pay a capital gains tax on it. 2015, the CFTC, our commodities regulator, comes out and says, this is a virtual commodity that we have, opening the door for the CME in 2017 to launch the first Bitcoin futures product. Then in 2021, we have the OCC, which is a part of the U.S. Treasury Department, ruling that banks can hold Bitcoin on behalf of their customers as a depository instrument. And then you have the SEC uh, approving uh, Bitcoin futures ETF. 
and you have Coinbase IPOing in New York. So if you objectively look at what's happening in the United States, it is the biggest green light to Bitcoin that I've ever seen. I mean, you really have to objectively look at the rulings that have come out of each part of the government. Because as we know, the United States, it's not just one entity. It's a distributed system of local, state, and federal governments, agencies across the judicial, executive, and legislative branch. So we have portions of every pocket of the government, of the bureaucracy, approving and greenlighting Bitcoin, while at the same time you have politicians that are maybe critical, want to introduce legislation to introduce uh, you know, tax burdens or excessive tax implications for Bitcoin holders, potentially bans, but it's really not that in the US. And so I would really encourage you to, instead of fear what the US is going to do to Bitcoin as it's getting powerful, look at Bitcoin reaching a trillion dollars in market value and then getting the IPO approved for Coinbase, it trade start trading public, and then the SEC approves the futures ETF and Fidelity is filing and you know you have all these mega companies now that are basically introducing Bitcoin products. JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs are trading. So this idea that the US is going to do anything to do with the word ban and Bitcoin is, I think, very misfounded. Now, the Russian uh, finance minister uh, last week said something that was brilliant, I think. He said, if we, if we are going to ban cryptocurrency, we have to buy, ban the internet, and we are not China. And it's, it's beautifully said, because it's, it truly is, you know, you can introduce this tax burden on Bitcoiners and, uh, and all that, but we haven't seen so in 14 years. And I and especially with gridlock in DC, you're not going to see anything like that for another two, three years. And Bitcoin just continues to grow and grow on its own. Um, so that would be my response to the regulatory question. And then to go back to, you know, what's the value? You're you're right. It's impossible to price this thing. We don't really know. It's unprecedented. So we don't have PE ratios or anything like that to or cash flows, right? Bitcoin doesn't have cash flow. So you can't do a discounted cash flow model. There's no traditional way to value this asset. So how do I value it? There are really, let's say, three three ways to approach this valuation. And it gives us an idea of maybe where it's going over the longer term. Number one is the amount of gold that exists on the planet today. It's approximately $10, $11 trillion worth of gold. I think that over a longer ter- term time horizon, Bitcoin can represent the same amount of value that gold does on this planet because it's a digital version of gold in its okay. very most basic. And that would put Bitcoin at about five to six hundred thousand dollars per Bitcoin because, you know, 500K times 20 million coins equals 10 trillion dollars. So that's where we get a five hundred thousand dollar price. $500,000 price puts bit, puts Bitcoin as a network at the same size of gold as a, a store of value. So that's where I think Bitcoin is going. I wrote that in the book. Basically, it was my one price prediction is that I think 
Bitcoin will eventually eclipse gold and and trade above five hundred thousand dollars. I don't have a time horizon on that in the book because it's a fool's errand trying to guess when that happens. Uh, the second thing, and this is what made me kind of fall in love with Bitcoin itself, is understanding that the mining computational energy that goes into creating Bitcoin is value itself because it does two things. It secures the network from attack. It, it, it keeps it neutral. And it also makes the origination of Bitcoin more and more difficult as time goes by, creating that true digital scarcity that has never existed. We've never been able to like lock a PDF and, and encrypt a PDF and send it. And that file is the only file time it'll ever exist. It's just physically not possible pre- prior to Bitcoin to you know, make something that you can't copy and paste in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bitcoin has achieved. So from the mining side, how much money do you have to spend on electricity to create Bitcoin is a cost basis, like how much money it costs for miners to dig one ounce of gold out of the ground. And then the price of gold, that's their profit margin. But one side of that is the cost basis. So the mining cost basis is another component. And then the third and final component, which is part of this relatively newer study we call on-chain analytics. It's using the data of Bitcoin's blockchain to uh, basically deduce information about it. What we can see is that the realized cost basis of Bitcoin can be calculated by looking at when money moves on the Bitcoin blockchain itself and valuing the dollar price at, at that time. Because we know that the exchange price represents what people are willing to buy and sell Bitcoin for on the exchange. But it doesn't necessarily represent what people are willing to buy and sell Bitcoin physically settling on the blockchain for. And that is called realized market cap or realized value. That is trading somewhere around $25,000 today uh, or at about, um, I think it's about $450 billion in total market cap realized cap. Bitcoin's current market cap is around uh, three quarters of a trillion right now, about 700 and something trillion. So we're trading at about a one and a half ratio of market value to realized value using this cost basis uh, metric. Uh, So you have the the gold as the long term, the mining cost basis, and then the uh, traders cost basis as three ways that uh, we can think about Bitcoin's value, short term, medium term, and long term. So when you look at the when so going to the third the third um, methodology, that's the cost in which someone mines it and puts it on the on. Well, that's the second one's the cost of mining. The third one, explain that one more time because I because I think that that's I mean what, when we look at the second version, the first one I get right that there's eleven trillion dollars worth of value in gold and and let's just say there's a three to five percent appreciation. Maybe that you know turns into thirty trillion you know thirty years from now and 
in this and this if this replaces gold or or mirrors gold maybe it's half, 50% of the store value goes to gold 50% to, to bitcoin i i can see that argument and people like dalio who are investing in it are saying yeah this is a digital gold right there's 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 getting real credence around that because it's a store value and how it's created but going back to these other ways which i like this because I'm I'm a real estate guy, so there's a cost basis in creating real estate. Cost you actual money to replacement cost to create the thing. When we started looking at the actual cost to create for me to if, if I said, hey Nick, I got this, I got a two thousand square foot warehouse filled with computers. I'm just gonna mine Bitcoin. What does it actually cost those guys right now to create one Bitcoin? <laughs> Hey gang, Darius Mashaza here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company? to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years and I did it without costly growing pains and without the headaches that, that you usually experience when you are scaling your business. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're, you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled our, my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees, and we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my scale map method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius. Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix... They simplify and they streamline every single aspect of your business. And they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time consuming for a busy CEO like you and from my, like myself was to implement. So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. So it, it, it varies greatly depending on what your, ele- your variable input cost is, which is the electricity. And yeah, so like, the machine, like low and high, give me, cause I get it. If I, if I'm close to the circuit and I'm in, and I'm in a place with really, lo- really low electrical costs, I live in Austin, Texas. So there's people here like literally doing deals so they can get really low electrical costs. So give me like a range on that. 
Okay, so I, I'm, I'm not the best to give you this range right now, but I know that people are mining Bitcoin for as low as $3,000 per Bitcoin to mine it. And it's going to be as high as 50 or more, depending, you know, if you go to places where it's, and so you'll be underwater on your Bitcoin, uh, basically. So there's ways to, you know, there are places to mine it very profitably, and there are places that you will be unprofitable in mining. And so we see that we're witnessing the energy arbitrage happening right now. That's probably a, it's another book, you know, let alone another show to think about what's happening in, in Texas and in, in Canada, in, in the Nordic part of Europe, China itself with the hydro and, you know, elsewhere in the world, uh, El Salvador with the geothermal and volcanoes. Um, so there's like a million different ways to mine Bitcoin, and it really is going to depend where you are. Interesting. Okay, so so that's a pretty wide spectrum, which which yes. which gives us a nice distribution of costs, right? To, to well, and think about the volatility. This is why nobody knows what to price it at today, and why it's so volatile. Because one person's input is three thousand, another person has an input of sixty thousand, and it, no one knows where to price it. No one knows what miner is going to face uh you know a renewal on their lease and have to prepay the next one year of rent and dump bitcoin onto the market to do it you don't know it's a very young market right. we do know i do appreciate that you recognize the cost basis nature of it it is something that is very fundamental about bitcoin it it costs electricity and machines and land and potentially political influence to to mine and create that bitcoin Right, and 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 I would assume, and 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 it's it's interesting when we think of it like that, and because I always think of like, what is it? Co- what's the, what's your cog, right? Is if we're going to manufacture something, right? We could do it with gold to a certain degree, or oil. Like you know, there's wildcatting, and there's these ideas of they can price in that risk and assign a value to it, and say, okay, well, this is what we could sell it at and probably make money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to your point, this it being a young market. There's the price volatility is represented that, and, and I hadn't thought of that. So th- the third way, though, when we talk about putting it on the blockchain itself, yeah, walk us through that. Let me, yeah, let me explain that. And I would, uh, I would point listeners to the recent article I wrote about this on Substack. When I I, I said the the title of the article is uh, the four year cycle is dead, long live Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> What it's trying to explain is we there are there's this whole range now of metrics, right? We if you think about if you're a stock person, you think about you have p you have price to earnings, you have so you have earnings, you have sales, you have book value, you have enterprise value, you have EBITDA, you have all these metrics. Then you have you know margins and you have operating margins, net margins. You have all these metrics, and it's basically something divided by something else or something divided times right. something else, right? And so now in Bitcoin, we have a lot of metrics, okay? And it's basically, you know, something times something else. That's all it is. It's using the data that we have. Bitcoin is a software and anybody who has the software can see balances moving from point A to point B on the blockchain itself. That movement of people actually sending Bitcoin to each other or to their exchange or withdrawing from their exchange is visible, at least in its amount and its timing, to everyone. 
that is the nature of Bitcoin's blockchain. It is open uh, software that anyone can access. Now, if people are buying and selling Bitcoin on an exchange, let's call it uh, Binance, the average person isn't going to be able to see that trade, you know, what's going on in that trade book. That's proprietary information that Binance has in their order book. So going back to the blockchain, when money moves, when Bitcoin moves on the blockchain, there is a metric called realized value or realized price that assigns the dollar price today to that movement. And therefore, it represents the trader's cost basis, the owner's cost basis, or in Bitcoin terms, the hodler's cost basis to owning that Bitcoin. And why is that important? Because Bitcoin is not PayPal or Paul. It's not just some, it's not just some payments network. It is ascribed this store of value digital gold narrative by millions upon millions of people in different parts of the world where they have decided, I'm one of them, that a portion of my savings wealth, it's going to find a home in Bitcoin and stay there. And that's my cost basis. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell into the market, especially like, you know, as uh, the Bitcoin price chops around above my cost basis. I'm not just going to go out and, and dump my coins back onto the market today. So the realized cost basis of Bitcoin holders all around the world is a very slow, slow, slow moving. Got it. All right. And so if you look at the long-term realized value of Bitcoin, it's basically this slow march up to right now about $25,000. It's never really gone above 26, 20. It's declined a little bit, but it's never gone above $30,000. And so you have the my articles about the ratio of market value to realized value. It's called MVRV. It's gotten as high as five, where that that would put Bitcoin today at one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars if we had a ratio of five. And right. if it traded to one, you would be at twenty five k Bitcoin. And if it traded to 0.8, which it has in deep bear markets, you'd be at twenty thousand dollar Bitcoin today. Got it. So that realized value gives me a great anchor in valuation because I can say, oh, it goes from sixty to thirty. Well, it just went from you know, two and a half MVRV to one, you know, not that big of a deal in the big picture. But yes, it does mean we're in a bear market because trading at one means there's not really that speculation fluff price on top of Bitcoin and the market is not hot. It's the opposite of hot. So yeah, um, I hope that I hope that is a little bit more helpful. It's, It's not an easy it's not an easy thing to describe. And I've had readers reach out to me and say, I'm. I still don't understand what you're talking about. I, I, can I can I say it in my own wor- words? I, are you ever heard of Gallup Strength Finder? You know what that is. No, please uh, tell me. It's, it's so Gallup Strength Thunder is like what your talents are. My number two is communication. So I always have to say things in my own words. So what I heard you just say is the average price that people have bought it at, at is around twenty five k, and so they're not going to sell it for less than that because that's what they bought it for. That is a very very. Simple way of putting this idea that MVRV does not trade below one that often. And when it does, it pops back above it. 
Which and makes so, sense because you're yeah. only going to sell under duress. And that, I mean, it could drop, be driven below that if people are selling uh, under duress or there's, or there's a market movement and you have people that... Or extreme fear. Which yeah, or is extreme important. fear, right? Which, which but listen, assets trade under, under, under base, cost basis all the time, right? So you could have an event where they're trading at a half of MVRV, right? Or 50%. If, uh, tra- is that likely? It's probably a three or five, six sigma or a sigma event, right? Like that's not, that's not likely to happen. Right. But, but yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great data point that if the average price is everyone paid for these things is X, they're probably not going to sell it if they're going to get less than X unless they, unless they have to sell it. Right. And we see that in real estate a lot where when we hit these bear markets in real estate, the inventory just stops trading because the only people that sell are the ones that have to sell it. You know, the, yeah. if I bought my house for a million bucks and they're trading at 500K, I'm just going to sit it out. I'm like, oh, it sucks. But I'm not going to be like, oh, I got to sell my house now. I'm just going to take a half a million dollar bath. The reality is I'm going to say like, nope, I'm going to sit. I live in my house. I'm, or unless, I'm not going to sell unless I have to sell. So that that's a really interesting data point. And it actually makes me feel more comfortable to, to, to try to dip my toe in the water and buy some of it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, man, this is, uh, this is uh, I'm literally, I was looking forward to this conversation for all these reasons and then some. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Right now, we have, I think I looked yesterday, there's like 17,000 cryptocurrencies out there, right? I have, I have a, a friend who's been on the show and he's created his own. And, and, I, and I was joking around my brother that we should create. So I was going to name like three cryptocurrencies based off of old slang for dollars, like clams and ducats. And <laughs> I'm going to have the ducat coin or the simoleon coin, uh, you know, just like all these like slang words, uh, like cabbage <laughs> so uh lettuce lettuce coin um but no seriously though um you know we see all these cryptocurrencies or we see the advent of nfts and they're all kind of derived off the same idea of digital assets right and you know gary vaynerchuk says you know 99 percent of these you know nfts are going to zero and i kind of have the same belief around a lot of these cryptos that are that are cro- that are popping up that do not have an actual blockchain utility value. When I when I see a like a Doge coin, I bought some Shiba Inu for fun, right? I bought like a hundred dollars worth. Of, it's just still. I've, I've actually it's the, oh, this is kind of funny. The only cryptocurrency I bought that's not upside down right now is my Shiba Inu because <laughs> I bought it for so cheap. I bought it like forty dollars worth. It's worth like a hundred bucks. But um, but yeah, like when you start looking at all these other currencies, I know you talk about in your book that you know these are copycat currencies and they're mimicking, you know. Blockchain has legitimacy around it in that it is a real store. It is perceived to be, at least at this point, and has the the underpinnings of being a digital gold. Ethereum is, you know, our first real adoption of a blockchain. Right outside of that, everyone's it's it's a race to like to say who's going to be that that you know who's going to be the mass adoption around either the blockchain and or is there going to be a competitor to bitcoin what are your thoughts around these other currencies that are coming up or or how that that plays out yeah i find it i find it fascinating that 
the conversation around um, altcoins continues to follow this same idea that Bitcoin might be the MySpace, right? It might be just the first iteration and that we'll get a better iteration. But it is really failing to recognize the mining economics. And that, I think, is the, it's the most important thing by far because I'll go back to a word that I use in the book. To summarize Bitcoin, the best single word is neutral. And the neutrality comes from the fact that there is so much mining energy dedicated to the network from different parts of the world and from different computing networks, different warehouses of miners and different actors. And that decentralization of mining power and the the sheer quantity of mining power, it's now basically a small nation electricity consumption, the Bitcoin network, which is not a bad thing. It's not going to boil the oceans. It is going to give 7 billion people the opportunity to be on a level playing field when it comes to money, where the rules are well-established, transparent for everyone, never changing, permanent, and uh, not controlled by any central party or government. And every single cryptocurrency, and I would throw Ethereum into that as well, has a center or an issuer or some way for a government or it to be shut down, for them to be subpoenaed, um, for um, a government to come in and attack the network from an energy perspective, dedicating the energy that would be required to break the network. And so when you look at, there's a great uh, website, How Many Confirms? It's basically a website that shows how many block, how, how much time would it take for other cryptocurrencies to dedicate the same amount, amount of energy uh, to securing the network relative to Bitcoin. And you basically see it mimicking the market value distribution where Bitcoin's at like 750 billion, right? And so fifth, sixth place is going to be at... Se- seven billion like uh one one hundredth the size right and the mining mimics that where it's one one hundred and ethereum is not right it's it's kind of uh close to being in that one third area just like the market value but you get down to five six and now you're literally talking about one one hundredth the energy and so how much more possible is it for a government to come in and shut down that network with just turning on one warehouse, it, it's way more likely than 100 times. It becomes 10,000 times more likely. And so forget about crypto ranked 25 or 100 down the list. And, and I'm not saying that cryptocurrencies will fail to exist, or I'm one of those people that just, I'm, I'm price is truth. That's my favorite saying. The price is the truth. There are hundreds of coins worth over you know, $100 million in total market value. And there's, I think it's above 100 coins worth above a billion dollars. Wow. That is telling you that there is an appetite for shit coins everywhere you look and enough appetite to keep market value alive and well 
into the future. So who am I to say that they'll cease to exist? No, but the discrepancy between Bitcoin and everything else is, is so pronounced that once you get into mining economics, once you get into the game theory of what a neutral currency really represents for the planet, you stop thinking about other cryptocurrencies. And I understand that Ethereum has a lot of market value, but I think of it more as an operating system and can't really, uh, besides the cost basis, because Ethereum has a cost basis, can't really ascribe um, any value to it outside of the fact that people have ascribed money, you know, uh, monetary value to it, and they have a cost basis. And that cost basis is where it is, you know, in, in value terms. So, uh, you know, I hope that gets into a little bit of what you're asking. But I just, it is why I only mention Bitcoin in my book and don't mention anything else by name. It's why my publication is called the Bitcoin layer, because I really do feel that this uh, the difference in Bitcoin and everything else is so pronounced that from the geopolitical perspective and a global macro perspective, nothing else is worthy of my attention at the moment. And I wrote something at, on my Substack called Bitcoin and crypto aren't the same, where I go through some of these points uh, for the readers. I, I love that, man. And, and we'll be and promoting- Bitcoin and crypto aren't the same. Let me just say what real quickly. It was, I started it as a paid post for my paid subscribers, but I've since made it free. And there's a ton of free content on my Substack um, as well as the paid content. So I really hope people will go sign up. Yeah, I, I want to um, promote um, and we'll promote the the Substack and where they can get get a hold of the book as well as connect with you for um, for more information on all the stuff you're doing in the world of Bitcoin. Um, I'm going to, we got time for one more question. So, I, I, you know, the, the, the question that's been racking my brain and I, and I don't know if you have any thoughts around this, but I had a guy on the show and Jeff Booth. Do you know Jeff? Yes, I do. Yeah. I've so read Jeff, his book. Yeah. Yeah. So his book, it's a, it's a bit of a doomsday book around, you know, what's happening from, you know, essentially that Moore's Law is increasing the speed of technology and the speed of technology is increasing exponentially. And because of that, we're, we got some really hard times ahead of us. Um, I, I told him at the end of the show, I'm like, um, I, you just made me sick, like not want to eat my lunch. Like I have like, like my stomach's turning right now. Right. I felt uncomfortable. And I, and I asked him, I said, well, where, where does one invest their money? And he's like, you know, essentially asymmetric, you know, VC tech bets and Bitcoin. Those were his thoughts. But, but, you know, one of my thoughts, you know, my big question, I left that conversation. I went and talked to a really good friend of mine who I trust and respect. And, you know, his thing's like, listen, man, you know, the US dollar is omnipresent. It's everywhere. It's like, you know, you talk about it in your book when we start talking about how like the euro dollars, you know, came out of the US dollar and that we're the reserve currency. And, and even when we were talking about, when you're talking earlier about interest rates, studying interest rates, my joke with my business partners, it's like, yeah, the tallest midget in the room, right? It's, it's like the US is the tallest midget in the room. And, what I mean, when you start to think of what needs to happen for there to be a, a new reserve currency, it, 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 I, I can't like I try to wrap my head around it. And all I see is like doomsday stuff. I see like really, really hard times for that to get created. How do you see a transition? Is it that the central governments are forced to adopt a Bitcoin backed dollar? What do you what is yeah. your vision of that transformation? No, Um this is something that I'm writing about a lot right now and 
thinking about the second book from these from this perspective. Bitcoin adoption so far in its 13 years happens at the margin. And at the margin, each person that adopts it most likely is adopting it as a parallel denomination to whatever their home currency is, where they they pretty much still think in dollars, but they're like, I'm going to keep this Bitcoin. And then I'm going to start thinking in Bitcoin because I want to add to my position. And um, then the Bitcoin goes up in price. And then that becomes their dual denomination mentality becomes more prevalent in their mind. So you start with the Silk Road, then you go to the end the Fed people, then you go to Argentina, then you go to Turkey, then you go to the Canadian truckers, and then you go to El Salvador, and then you go to Nigeria, and then you go to, um, you know, back to the United States and people that are concerned about XYZ. And, and then you go to tech world that gets excited about the technology now, finally, after all these marginal use cases. And each one of the marginal adopters thinks in terms of Bitcoin a little bit and then a little bit more as time goes by and they increase the size of their position. And then eventually what you have is a billion people around the world that are thinking at least somewhat in Bitcoin. And that's how we that's how we see Bitcoin evolve as a reserve currency where not not every country is going to go El Salvador and just make it legal tender. But Russia is now going to make Bitcoin um, a currency, making it, it basically letting people dual denominate and then corporations will start to dual denominate and then countries will start to dual denominate. And uh, it won't be banned in the United States. So many Americans and American corporations, by the way, we have mining companies in the United States publicly traded now, giving the international capital markets access to Bitcoin at its cost basis through the American property right protection system that we have here. All of that contributes to a mental dual denomination. And it is also why, Darius, that we are not going to see this happening in three years, five years, even 10. It is going to take a really long time to get to 2 billion people that have at least partially mentally denominated themselves in Bitcoin, at which point it probably eclipses the dollar as the most prevalent mental denomination and pricing mechanism on the internet. Like somewhere along that path, by the way, all prices on the internet go to Bitcoin, mm. by the way. Your, your McDonald's in LA won't be in Bitcoin, but um, you know all online businesses that have any international component will all be priced in Bitcoin. So how, and be honest with yourself, how far are we away from that? Very yeah, far. Yeah, right? I, I would say a couple decades. Right. And so, you know, I would say less than a couple decades, but again, we're talking in decades. And so, you know, my answer to your question is this, you know, dual den denomination uh, evolution, but over a very long term time horizon. And um, I and I think that that's evidenced by Bitcoin's waves. It, 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 it gains adopters and a lot of market value, then crashes in market value and 
adoption levels off and then it picks up again. So realized value is a great way to visualize that, uh, to be honest with you. It's one of the reasons I love that metric. Yeah, that's man, this is so helpful and so informative. And I'm so excited for all the stuff that you're working on right now. So I unfortunately, we're out of time. And I, I was like, I could go th- three hours with you talking about this. Um, <laughs> so look, um, Layered Money is the number one bestseller. I, I'm, I'm telling you, this book's awesome for anyone that's that's a newbie that uh, like there. I mean, you had two finance guys on this on the show talking numbers, so maybe it might be a little bit uh, overwhelming for some folks. But I will tell you this: I love your book simply for for folks that don't feel comfortable with this topic. Just the explanation of how the layers of money work, the history of it, really sets the precedence for for what this technology is and can be. So obviously, people can go out there and buy that. I'm guessing where all books are sold. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's on Amazon, uh, everywhere that books are sold. Um, and uh, everyone can find all the links to my Substack, my Twitter, the Amazon links, the Audible, the audiobook has been very popular as well. Um, at layeredmoney.com, very easy. Layeredmoney.com has all of my links. And uh, I hope that you guys will check out the book and sign up for my Substack, which is all the link is also there at layeredmoney.com. Guys, what what a treat to have Nick here. I'm so grateful that um, we got listed as the two of Chris's favorite books for the year. I'll send you a copy of my book. You can check it out. It's it's a core value. It's called the core value equation, which is all about how the world needs more core value driven organizations, which which aligns with with this whole idea of we're, we're of having control around money. But so that's at least one of my core values. Um, <laughs> so guys, um, man, what a great show. Uh, LayeredMoney.com is where people can hook up with you, hook up on your sub stack. And I'm so excited for all the things that you're doing in the world, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the show, Nick. So grateful to have you here. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. All right, you guys. We'll talk to you guys soon. We got way more shows coming up. and. Um, very appreciative to have Nick as uh, a greatness machine alumni now. Thanks for, ha- thanks for having you here, Nick. Take care, guys. Peace out. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. 
I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.